the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I do want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. Another important day for you and I on uh, July 5th, 2000, and, I'm sorry, August 5th, 2019, 85, not 7585. Gorgeous day, by the way, in our coveted state of California. I'm feeling good. I hope you are as well. The number to reach me is one 3675 for us to launch off a week, if you will, of conversation and dialogue about the things that matter to God, hopefully to us and to our world and uh, quite frankly, to our country. So what am I thinking about besides being willing to take your phone calls? If they are good topics, we will engage them. If not, we won't. Um, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to begin to line up uh, and engage yours truly on the topics at hand. I was thinking about how important it is for us to think through uh, what's going on in our country, what what's taking place relative to um, the atmosphere, the um, the tensions. The uh, social conflicts, the the difficulties, if you will, from state to state, the gradual disintegration of a relative uh, a relative peace in our society, um, and I've been hearing in the media <clears throat> the, the the question that uh, seems to be unavoidable for this president: Does our president play a significant role in the increase of hostilities and uh, violence such as the uh, killings that have taken place in in uh in Texas and uh other places around the nation and even in our state here recently as you guys do know El Paso and other places these are horrible horrible crimes if you and I were in the proximity of them uh, we would feel the the uh, again the social trauma of it, and this would be a much more germane conversation. But just on a level of men and women that are trying to be somewhat aware and somewhat engaged in and somewhat concerned with our environment, our society, our our nation, and then on a larger level of uh, biblical thinkers, here is the question that I want to pose and begin to proffer in in, in conversation with you a bit today, and that is. Is Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, directly or indirectly spurring on hate reactions 
that uh, are the consequence of his narrative are the manner in which he is, you know, doing his kind of second run for his second term. Can we be honest about um, the possibility that even when you are really speaking to your choir, engaging in the hype of words that really is designed to strengthen your base, we know that. This is engaging in politics. Politics is one of the most maniacal, deceptive engines in the world, has been since the beginning of mankind, largely since the fall. I talk to you all the time about the very clear dialectical process that goes on within the construct of politics that divides one group of people from another group of people and uh, and produces Um, at least a kind of friendly adversarial uh, ideology between the two groups. But frequently, if we are not careful, I think, uh, with the manner in which we handle uh, political privileges, political responsibilities, political opportunities, we really do end up becoming bigoted. And uh, hateful in many ways. I hate using the term because it's so, so, so dragged through the mud and so overused in the media. Nevertheless, it's still something that we have to merit as as biblical Christians who are called upon to think discerningly, objectively, rationally and logically about what it means to be human beings with dignity in civility, we still have to uh, engage the, the, the matters of dialogue and conversations in the free market that you hear everywhere, including on this program, including yours truly. Is it is it the fact with what you are hearing in the media today on the left and on the right, regardless, when the allegations, assertions are set forth, is Donald Trump's language a kind of dog whistling? A, um, a framing of a kind of uh, agenda, a kind of set of tenets and protocols, a kind of uh, forecasting for the purpose of arousing the troops around him and giving them all of the boldness and confidence of feeling like the people who are in power uh, does his language l- tend to and lend itself towards provocation. Uh, on the part of uh, uh, people who are in the pot party, who are in league with him, who identify with him, who embrace his philosophies and, and policies. Is it, is, it, is it possible to directly link the language, the framework of speech, uh, the zeal and passion in connection with the framework and speech of Donald Trump uh, as part of that which provokes the unstable? the uh, vulnerably, emotionally vulnerably and psychologically unstable uh, person to want to engage in something that's more extremist in nature. Uh, is, is, and here's the second question that's much more on a broader theological level for you and I to consider. Can one with words provoke another by their words to do something that is not right, good, helpful, and uh, and uh, and purposeful in the lives of other people. In other words, can words be simply projected into the air 
that are framed and designed, maybe for one purpose altogether, but because of the shape and form and context and structure of those words, their ambiguity, their uh, their their duplicity, their their uh, complexity, if you will, um, can they uh, produce in someone who feels like the only way that they can contribute to the cause in its ultimate uh, objective is to go out and hurt somebody. Does the Bible speak to your words and my words affecting evil or affecting good? As a believer, we have to think this through biblically and theologically and spiritually because this is what I believe we're looking at in our nation today. Um, I would have loved to have seen a curtailing of crime, a curtailing of of, uh, useless killings. I would love to have seen a major drop in the... uh, the destruction of human life, if you will, uh, that we saw in the days of Obama. Uh, and we saw shortly after 9-11 in the days of President George W. Bush. Um, I would have loved that Trump would have been able to get into office and quickly put on the garb of president and, and have a cabinet around him that could actually help him um focus in on and direct his attention towards policies so that in the proliferation of good policies, we would have an outcome that would be able to speak for itself versus what we knew that President Trump would be doing as he holds the greatest platform in the world, the the largest uh, media uh, attention in the world or ever has and uh, access towards all of the mediums by which he could communicate as well. All of the social mediums, which, which he uses masterfully as well. His problem for me has always been him taking things way too personally and then engaging in those personal responses in a way that I know does not befit uh, the office of a presidency relative to him having to be the president of all the people. When you take on that office, whether you like it or not, you're not just the president of white folks. You're not the president of rich folks. You're not the president of, uh, of, uh, of folks who like you. You're the president of folks who don't like you. You're the president of the folks who didn't vote for you. You're the president of the folks that you uh, partied against. Uh, That's what you are. And so once you actually hit the office as president, you really do have to move into the middle and take on a much more paternal, priestly, prophetic office in order to, to communicate policies that bring about social Civility, social normality, social harmony, social productivity, social enhancement, social blessing. That's just like that's the job that you have. You don't get to continue to push toward uh, the right or the left as all the presidents have often done. Even Obama did it, just kept pushing toward the left and created this wild, bizarre atmosphere of anti-Christian expression. He he really did do that. Unfortunately, you can just see it in his record. But getting back to President Trump and, and the very fundamental philosophy of, uh, is it possible that his, you know, his stump speeches 
and the way he goes after people that uh, that dislike him uh, with the kind of words and rhetoric that he does. And, you know, he's part of the social fabric, too. Believe me, he doesn't live in a bubble. He doesn't live isolated on another planet. He's not a paragon of wisdom within himself. He takes up and he formulates the same basic uh, rhetoric and terminology and phraseology that everybody else does that is convenient for uh, expressing what he feels and believes is so, particularly, you know, as a politician catering towards his um, his constituency. I have absolutely no problem with him actually addressing the left or his opponents when they come after him. And they, too, would use inflammatory speech to indict him as, you know, being this, that or the other thing with the purpose of stirring up people in their party to be more uh, assertive, if you will, if not aggressive in their uh in their in their retorts and in their freedom of speech, and I have seen just in case you don't know, I have seen how the the left will catch uh, a person on the right who is uh, demonstrating or um or just uh, expressing their opinion with signs and literature. I've seen the people on the left, uh, Intifada and others, uh, beat down uh, conservative voices that are just expressing themselves in the context of the freedom of speech. I've seen that, and it's hard born wretched and you know i have weird things going on in my mind in terms of wanting to retaliate against somebody like that so they can feel the uh the the uh the hypocrisy of their actions i mean to put on black hoods and and stand around one single guy who was passing out literature because he disagrees with you know some liberal progressive policy and then you put hoods on and then you want to beat him down with your hoods well you know i i, I envision somebody you know uh quid pro quo right there on the spot just showing him how bad it should feel for him to think that he can disagree with somebody uh, who is just talking with anything other than talking back. I, I certainly I certainly do not turn a blind eye to that. I may not even fully agree with that person on the rights, you know, expression, but I do agree with his right to express it. I do agree with his right to have his space. I do agree with the right of his personhood not being harmed at all by by some, you know, whippy um, uh, coward with a black hood on. Who, who won't show his face and yet it will be willing to punch and kick and harm somebody simply because they're speaking out. Uh, that's cowardice. Um, on the other hand, I am speaking to the Christian by and large, and I'm asking the question to you so we can engage in the conversation because I know you see these things as well. And, and I'm also, this is also a preemptive strike, if you will, against, um, <laughs> What may may very well be an escalation of crimes, hate crimes and hostile activities that will come near to your door and mine. And and what will we do and how will we respond and what will be our sentiment and what will be our philosophy and what will be our witness as believers if the angry political man, and that's the goal of the adversary, the devil, to produce uh, massive groups of angry political people on the left and on the right who do not operate out of Christian values, although they will call themselves Christian. Uh, the goal of the enemy is to create a, create a social science, angry political man, social science, angry political man, who fundamentally in his worldview stands in stark opposition to the uh, sacred, spiritual, biblical man. 
on all points, moral, ethical, and spiritual. The social science angry political man persecutes the sacred, spiritual, uh, pious, believing man. That's the history of the Bible. That's the testimony of Christ. That's, uh, that's the legacy of true believers who have not collapsed into uh, social, carnal, uh, horizontal wars like, uh, like, like the church has done throughout history collapsing into political wars and and social wars as if you can convert people by having uh, uh, authority over them with the sword. It has never occurred and certainly not happening here in America. So I've got two lines open. What do you think about what's going on and and, and how do you think it's impacting the environment you live in? And 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 the you know, again, the the um, increase in sensitivity around, uh, you know, speech and things of that nature. Let's talk about that. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. I've got two lines open. Fill them up. I'm going to take a break, uh, pay some bills, and then we'll be back on this Monday edition of Lifeline with your host, Jesse Gistan. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. Two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I was asking the opening monologue. Um, do you recognize an escalation in um, instability in our culture? Uh, hostile expressions that we know we've been living with since nine eleven. Uh, but but those were largely, uh, you know, more nationalistic ideological uh, conflicts that has to do with, you know, the relationship that our government has with many of the nations around the world. And, and particularly the campaigns that uh, Bush one and Bush two engaged in in the Middle East, thinking somehow that we were going to uh, bring democracy to the Middle East. And you guys know that that was absolutely a vain, vain effort. You know it now. I mean, you know, you may have thought back then, I re- this is a long time ago, it's so funny how time flies, but you may have thought back then that that would have been the case, that the reason for justifying what we did in demolishing all of those lands over there, Afghanistan and Pakistan and and uh, Iraq and all of the areas in that, that, that part of the world, and we, we're quiet about the media, uh, we're quiet in the media right now about what's going on over there, but you can be sure that we're not building businesses and and producing trade and uh, uh, you know seeing a flourishing uh, a democracy after you know I don't know how many years it's been now since then maybe something like almost twenty years uh, and the point being is that it, democracy can never be forced upon people like you can't force the gospel upon a person either you can't make a person believe the gospel God has to give them grace to do that. You can share the gospel with the with people, but the notion of leading them down the Romans road to salvation, that's that's purely humanistic mechanisms that came came way out of the Finney era. And we know now that it doesn't have any substantial reality behind it. It's a mystery of the work of God to change the heart of a man, to cause him to see God's glory, his sin and need of redemption. Um 
All you can do is share the word. You can't make a person become a believer. That's absolutely insane. Um, and, and nor can you take a country that has uh, been governed by uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of utter hostility toward the West, as many of the Muslim countries have, and somehow think you can uh, convert it into a democratic society by blowing up everything over there and then, you know, paying for it with our tax dollars to create a culture that would look democratic when, in fact, at, under the superstructure, you know, in all of the black market areas, they're still, you know, maintaining their same uh, lifestyle, culture and ideology. And that's what's going on even over there right now. You you have a few countries where we have so overcome them, you know, Japan and and Hawaii and how, how many other countries we can we can assert that have become democratic. But they have never, ever really prospered on their own, maintaining their own identity. In essence, basically, it's what we call colonialism. And so we have to really wake up to the reality that you can't you just can't you can't make people become a democratic republic. They have to be persuaded of themselves. Uh, and, and the world is certainly not trending towards it today. On top of that. You and I are dealing with, if you're watching with both eyes, a country called America that on a social level, level, the fabric is falling apart in terms of just rationale, right thinking, right reasoning, the ability to have a conversation and disagree without falling apart. I mean, from our local legislation all the way to Washington, D.C., you got politicians that are trying to advocate some of the just most illogical and irrational policies concerning you know how people ought to speak and how people ought to think and how parents ought to govern their children. I mean, it's just it's absurd. And uh, when you have these kinds of things going on, on the left, you're going to have extremism going on on the right. People who absolutely feel like their country is being taken over and that they need to do something about it right now because they remember what it looked like 20 years ago. And and they don't even see the slightest semblance of that that look 20 years ago. And then every every idea in between those two extremes gets to have its five minutes in the sun rhetorically or practically if we are free people. And that's the cost of freedom. And so you have uh, you have these deranged persons who are identifying with these very fringe groups uh, uh, engaging in practices for which we have to ask the, the question honestly as biblical men and women listening carefully to our uh, leaders and listening careful to our, carefully to our fellow men, men and women, and ask the question, is this a top-down sentiment? Is this a consequence of men and women uh, 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 men and women listening to the news, listening to the, the left, listening to the right, being absorbed in what they got taught in middle school, high school, and certainly college. And, and now, you know, feel compelled to, if they're a leftist, to go wholesale Marxism and, and buy into the comraderati, ca- uh, comrade camaraderie, if you will, of language that's several hundreds of years old and doesn't know anything but, uh, you know, a feudalistic paradigm. And, and then go to the streets. And then on the other hand, with the right, 
You've got the uh, the history of the good old boys who 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 operated out of codes of ethics from the Masons on down. Uh, you know, protecting their own and and maintaining superiority and and and, uh, and and economic and political control over territories so that they could you know prosper in their own societies. Now you got this burgeoning uh, group of uh, colored folk. From Asians to Latinos, uh, Filipinos and Indians and and uh, uh, and and the whole gamut um, coming in and, and 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 the groundswell of the numbers of them have been going on since the early 50s, if you will. And now we look up and the color spectrum is broadly. Uh, broadly in favor of uh, Latinos and, and Asians and, and blacks are, are kind of drifting in there somewhere uh, and they have their, their angst against what's going on as well. And so we see these polarizing uh, realities on a social level and polarizing realities on a political level and uh, unfortunately polarizing realities on a spiritual level. We could talk about that as well as it's very clear that progressive ideology is entering into the church and collapse many of our conservative churches, such as the Southern Baptist Conference as well, uh, and, 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 and the Presbyterian churches at large have cor- corrupted for the most part with the, with the exception of a handful of solid, uh, independent Presbyterian churches. And your Baptist churches outside of the SBC um, are all hanging on by a thread if they actually still believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. But for the most part... <laughs> Uh, the church is becoming the culture and the culture is, is dominating the church and Trojan horse is uh, making its way into the center of America. And uh, at night they are stealthily uh, coming up out of the gift uh, and infiltrating uh, and creating the destabilization that you and I presently see. Uh, I'm going to raise the question again before I go to another break. I've got two lines open. one Is it true is it true that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they they that love it will eat the fruit thereof is it true that a man's words can be like swords and spears piercing through and uh, wounding and destroying his neighbor although he's speaking in sport as the proverb says is it true um, as the proverb would say also that we are to guard um, our hearts for out of it are all the issues of life and death. Is it true that the proverb says there is a need for wisdom to actually drape our words so that they uh, serve as a wholesome, wholesome tongue and a tree of life to those that need healing? If that's true, is it not also uh, true even further that when Christ said in Matthew chapter 18, war unto you who would offend these little ones that believe in me, it'd be better for you to put a millstone around your neck than to have done so. Cast yourself into the depths of the sea. Is it true that every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account of in the day of judgment? Are those things speaking to the reality that we need to be wise and prudent, discerning and careful and biblical in our approach of words, whether we are uh, just a mailman, a grocery store clerk, a high school student, college student, or a doctor, lawyer, a politician, um, president, preacher, uh, just a believer in Christ. Is this a good time to be really working through a, a greater level of wisdom and prudence about how we engage uh, differences civilly? 
Is this a good time for that? One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. All right, when I come back, we're going to practice, <laughs> hopefully, what I'm preaching here to you about how to have civil uh, conversations in a manner that edify versus uh, breaking out into the angry political man and uh, wanting to just devastate people and uh, destroy people just because they differ with you. And what connections our president's words are having with some of these painful realities that are occurring in our society today. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back and we'll go directly to your phone calls. And now back to Lifeline. All right. We've got two lines open if you want to join the conversation. If you've got a good question or a comment or um, something you want to talk about, you can add that into the pot of our discussion as well. one 367 5329 one Two lines open to join in our discussion. Let's go to line two and talk with Nelson and San Mateo. Nelson, are you there? Yes, sir. Um, that's very convicting what you said about, you know, basically you can get angry and overly political. And, and really, that's be honest with you that's where i reached and like yesterday what you said was so good and during the service i listened online uh-huh. that um, some people could talk all day they could talk but can they really talk an hour about god so right you know i i may take a vacation and i might just go there in the east bay and just enjoy you guys on friday saturday and sunday you know um for two weekends in a row and not and not really go to my um high school 40th anniversary. Hey, and, um, hey where'd you go to high school at? Hall of Fame. <laughs> Come on, man. Where'd you go to high school? High school. I said that where the Basketball Hall of Fame is. Where the Basketball Hall of Fame is. Oh, you, you went to, you were, you grew up in Springfield? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, why won't, why wouldn't you go? No, because I, my spiritual health is, is, is more important. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'll be honest with you. Some of these evangelicals got me real angry. Yeah, I, I know. Um, they're, they're out of pocket, in my it, opinion. It, yeah, my, my, I went to – I'll be careful. I won't mention don't, – Don't do that. Don't do that. mention any church's names, but the same denomination as the Poway Synagogue shooter I was going to um, – I'll just say Orthodox so and so. We already um, know. I told you, you ain't got to say it, but we already know. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So he, somebody called on C-SPAN. I couldn't get on C-SPAN this morning. Somebody called on C-SPAN and say, "Well, just because people are doing these shootings because they don't go to church, they don't say the pledge of allegiance." This guy, nineteen-year-old, was a nursing student, had a four-point high, four-point something. GPA had specialized classes. He heard the Westminster Confession of Faith. His father was the president of the sure. Elder Board of Suffolk. Sure. And and I'll I'll, I'll start off positive. I, one OPC church I went to. He's Canadian. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I said it. <laughs> one church I went to. You there? Of course, I'm there. I, I'm trying to. Oh, I want I you to get to your. Lead, I, quit talking about the denomination, okay? Just tell us. Oh, tell us okay, because okay. you don't have to talk about them because we already know. So just tell us what okay. your you know what your experience has been, so we can anchor this into our topic because okay. this is important. Okay, I one church I went to. The 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 pastor was Canadian, and the first day 
he preached positive things. I mean, he did it stealthily. He said positive things about the civil rights movement, that they were right, they were wrong for me. It was a very, very good pro-Martin Luther King. He's Canadian. He's, you know, so he's not, doesn't have those um, right-wing views. Sure. But other pastor, he's, his family served on the side of the South. He believes the Bible never says anything against slavery. He said that in the Bible study. I mean, I don't know what Bible he was reading. The Bible said if you capture a man, it, that person who captured him, the person who was found with them, shall be um, put to death. And in First Timothy one ten, it's names enslavers in the same category as people who killed their parents. Absolutely. I mean, your parents it, are good it, or not. But anyways. Um, two perfect texts. Two perfect texts yeah. to demolish that that silly notion that slavery, as was practiced, uh, you know, uh, in America and Europe, is is was biblical. That's utter, utterly nonsensical. Anyhow, keep going. Right, and, and um, in that one denomination, some after Charlottesville, somebody said, "Well, I know how these white guys feel at Charlottesville because white people are being blamed for everything." And then people joined, were joining the Constitution Party which hired no white supremacists and, and, and also endorsed people who are affiliated with David Duke. Um, and, and then now outside of the no- denomination, uh, certain, uh, an African-American acts a certain, the most famous Bible church pastor, you know, what do you think about Charlottesville? He said, in his answer three times, no one believes in white supremacy. No one believes in the KKK. I mean, come on. What about the people shouting Jews and blacks won't replace them? What about the people shooting up synagogues and black churches? No one. I mean, I know I understand hyperbole and everything, but he was defending Trump's Charlottesville remarks because he foolishly endorsed Trump after saying he wasn't going to endorse anybody. So here, so here's the question. Here's the question, so I can get you back on track so people can uh, appreciate, I already endorse you as a good thinker, but we went all around the world to ask this question. Uh, yeah, really, you know, I want you to rein it in because we, we like to create a good program. Um, the The Trump narrative, the way he's speaking and has been speaking, and granted, all of the groundswell of these nefarious characters that you and I are aware of that hitched themselves to his wagon with the media now presently. I'm just talking about the normal media that just your average individual is exposed to. They're not exposed to some of the other, you know, more intricate websites that get into details about certain parties and people and all that that you are much more aware of. But just the media raising the question. Is Donald Trump's speech, is his language, a legitimate a legitimate facilitating factor for spurring on some of these uh, these extremist actions, these hostile actions on the part of of uh, people who are now committing heinous crimes? Would that be what, what we're hearing in the media? 
about uh, the language of Donald Trump, the way he's been carrying himself. Would it merit us as Christians thinking through the connection between the words of a powerful man like the president and their impact upon the average citizen who wants to uh, make uh, a name for himself by doing something as horrendous as some of the acts that have just uh, increased over the last several months? What would be your com- what would be your comment in response to that? Is there a legitimacy? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, he is fueling that. I've seen, I've seen clip after clip because people are putting this together. The, the remarks that he made, even his last speech, somebody, when he's talking about caravan, the people come in, somebody shouted out, shoot him. He, first, Trump said, we can't shoot him. But, but then somebody said, yeah, shoot him. Then he just started laughing. Right. And um, then I just watched the neo-Nazi clip, and the guy was saying how he likes Trump and everything. No, no, Trump's rhetoric is off the hook. I mean, 50% of white Americans think Trump is racist, almost 50%. And that's a good, that's a, that's a good that's a good assessment that you made on that part because one of the things I, I'm often concerned about in the dialogue around Trump, as you know, was the case with Obama too. I think that in this, I'm speaking now to Christians, and I hope to get more callers who are willing to engage us in this conversation because this is a conversation I think people have to have in smaller forums, in smaller settings, because we can't get away from the reality of the impact of our leaders and their words and their impact on on people who are harming people. Somehow we have to have this conversation and actually bring to light a responsible conclusion. And so now that you stated that you feel as if there is an undeniable connection between the two. And I think the facts are out there that would substantiate legitimate concern for that assessment that you're making. What, how should Christians respond? Don't give me the political answer because you know, I'm going to go ahead on and shut you down. How should Christians response, respond to this? What would be the right response from your standpoint, Nelson, that a Christian should do in light of this? In light of this well, atmosphere, in light of this this social context in which we're living, how how should we address it w- w- when we meet on the streets or are are in church and we we can't just not talk about these things, uh, you know, because they are realities that are impacting us on a ton of levels. How should we address these things? Well, it'd be to just say pray, but you know what? The, the same way the people criticize. The critical race theory people, you know, the cultural Marxists. Anybody talks about racism is a cultural Marxist. I don't think that's. I don't. I don't think that. See, now you and I can go to debating because I don't think that that is something to poo-poo at at all. Hyperbole. I, I, but the, that would be the same thing that that the left would say about the right. I think that both. I think that both um, camps are substantially guilty of provocation. Right. I, I think that okay. they're both substantially guilty of provocation. I think I can I can I can argue for an underlying presuppositional base for uh, social Marxism and critical race theory as a framework for the narrative on the left based upon the fruit and evidence that I see in the collaboration and unifying of all of these uh, anti-biblical uh, uh, expressions and convictions and, and identities that are just uh, coming together. I mean, to be honest with you, if you just look at that, that the group on the left, 
Uh, and I, I don't put you in that left, but I see you as a sympathizer, and I'm asking the question. What biblical basis do they have for identifying themselves in such a manner, uh, coagulating together under that kind of umbrella of, uh, uh, of a hodgepodge of, of hostility towards uh, a biblical worldview? I see them hostile against the, the right. I see them hostile against the far right. I, I see them hostile against white supremacy and, and white privilege and white fragility. This dialectic is so abundantly clear to me. But what I hate, and I'll tell you the truth, Nelson, what I hate is somehow obscuring the purity and truth of a biblical worldview in the process. I despise the notion that uh, that the only kind of conversation that we can have is either I'm on the left with the multifaceted, intersectional, uh, social, uh, uh, social gospel uh, people who are awake, or I'm on the right with the uh, ignorant white folks and, and stupid black folks who are buying into an extreme view of, uh, of privilege. Uh, I think that that narrative uh, is outside of the scope of sound biblical uh, analysis. I think when you get the Bible right, both groups are guilty. Okay, I I just threw out a hyperbole. You just went, but but um, I agree, I agree. But um, so how do we have the conversation? How do we have the conversation without sliding on this 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 spherical, uh, as it were, rhetorically spherical slope? Either sliding into the right and saying I'm on the right, or sliding into the left and going I'm on the left. When can we really become biblical in our discussion of these things? Even if we have to concede that people that I am more sympathetic to, they have points, but they are not points that are affirming. A biblical truth and the true gospel. This, see, this is the thing that really, you know, this is where I'm at in my in my discernment and in the plumb line that I use as a as a judgment factor on both sides, uh, far right. Racism, uh, discrimination, uh, all kinds of methodologies by which they they would uh, and, uh, uh, presume to be able to do a better job than people that are not like them. Far left, uh, you know, you're again, your Marxist, uh, proletariat, bourgeoisie, uh, 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 you know, uh, oppressor, uh, uh, poor people paradigm. I hear all of that and I go that that's extreme, way too extreme for a people who are actually free, have some autonomy and actually they there are a mass of, of people in America uh, that don't live in either sphere and are good people who are sound people, who are rational people, and reasonable people. And they don't want to be just plopped on one side or the other. And that's unfair for us to do so, particularly if we're Christian. I agree. I, I agree with both sides. The, the, the gospel is the issue. And I think of the bondage of the will and and. Um, <laughs> The, the bigotry and the racism, just as much as um, the people who have um, far-left ideas, that's all part of the fallen human nature, the yep. bondage of yep. the will. And, yep. and, and Trump is yep. he, he's in bondage yep. to his um, bigotry. And, yep. and the, some of the people who have like called the police on African-Americans, like the guy in the— um, Chicago at the CVS store. He's shaking. He's physically yep. shaking yep. because he's he he was a Trump delegate too. Yep. And um, on, on a coupon, these people and then the recent one YouTube 
guy, you know, he wouldn't let the black person in, even though his son was crying. I agree with him. You know, um, these people are in bondage, but the the people on the right who are calling everybody um, cultural Marxists, they they reduce to the gospel to an ultra conservative. When I go to these churches, they always tell me, "Oh, you need to read Thomas Sowell. You need to read. You need to um, listen to Ben Shapiro." As if Ben Shapiro and Thomas Sowell are the gospel. They are so not. They, they give it. They, they are not away the gospel. They, they they they're the furthest thing from the gospel. I would read. I would read neither Thomas Sowell nor Ben Shapiro uh, for anything spiritual. Same thing with Jordan Peterson and many others. I listen to them on a lot of levels. So. Let's talk economics. Uh, ben Shapiro, he's he's like a new idol icon in the area of uh, of uh, uh, millennial thinkers, but he's a million miles away from from biblical clarity. So is Jordan Peterson with his 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 Jungian philosophy. He's a million miles from a biblical Christianity. Which my job is to really drive the conversation back to the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the exclusivity of the gospel, and the supremacy of a biblical worldview. It's getting hijacked by the Trojan horse of political rhetoric and the Hegelian dialectic. And and sometimes I see that happening uh, amongst good men uh, as ourselves. Listen, I got to take a break. We've dominated the time. I appreciate your call. Listen, you can take a vacation anytime you want to and come to grace because you know that's what you're going to get. You're going to get biblical thinking about a transcendent God who actually does address these issues that we're talking about. But I would go to, uh, man, you, man, you might 40-year reunion? I don't know if you want to miss that, bro. That's going to be some good stuff to see. <laughs> Anyhow, we got to take a break. Three lines open. one 367 Bunch of bills to pay. Bunch of bills to pay. Then I'll take your call, phone calls on the other side of the break. Let's talk about it. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 